Good morning. morning. It's so good to, uh, after this long year and a half of COVID, to have a near full church and be together to meditate on God's Word. Happy Fourth of July. This is uh, about all I'm going to say about the Fourth of July. That's the kingdom of this world. We have a great country, but we're in the middle of a sermon series about the kingdom of God. And... uh, You'll have plenty of time to celebrate the 4th of July the rest of today, I bet. Maybe you're even going to take in fireworks, but we're going to have the fireworks of faith and the Word of God now. We're in the middle of a sermon series. Uh, We, Pastor Herring suggested we would have two or three smaller sermon series this summer and gave me the assignment, "Let's, let's have one about parables. So I got to pick the parables, and I got to pick from all the parables. And when I picked this one, I thought, let's see what the young buck does with this when he preaches. (laughs) And then in true Don fashion, I uh, get over and do the preaching schedule, and I'm always monkeying with it because my travel changes. And lo and behold, I assigned it to myself. (laughs) And now I'm (laughs) preaching a very challenging parable. But I I love the parables. You do too. I know you do. Everyone does. And the reason is, is they're sticky. And they're our Lord's words, and they're so uh, spiritually alive, right? They're sticky because they're not real people, but they seem so real and simply real, and they're all simple stories that they stick. Once you hear it once, you just don't really ever forget it. I mean, if I say the prodigal son or the good Samaritan or the Pharisee and the publican, you're thinking of the whole parable, right? Those aren't even real people. Uh, Jesus made them up, but they have real-life stories that have such an impact on us, and they teach us truths. You remember what you were taught when you were a little kid? A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And and, and notice there's not an S on the end of that. Almost every single parable in, in, uh, in Jesus' words in the four Gospels has only one main point. And to help you navigate through with me through this parable that's very challenging, when you read it, you go, did he really say that? Uh, did he tell us that this guy that gypped his boss is an example for us? <laughs> uh, that parable has one main meaning. If you try to align God with a person in this parable or align yourself with a person in this parable, and you think that the meaning comes from you aligning your, you know, it, all the parts of the parable up to your life, or you're, you're handling it incorrectly. Jesus really just wants you to get the main point, and not every parable does he tell you the point, but he does in this one. It's in verse 9, and we're going to read the parable. It's all printed out for you in your worship folder. It's in Luke 16. Uh, There are four gospel stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Some of them have the same parables that every other gospel has that Jesus taught, but not this parable. It's only found in Luke 16. And it's called the parable, by us, it's called the parable of the shrewd manager. You might say, though, if you want to be more fair with it, and its difficulty is it's the parable of the lying, deceitful manager. Because that's what you're feeling. That's why we're all kind of giggling that it's a challenge for us to understand it. 
But my job is to help you and to leave you with it. I could, I think it's so clear that if you stay with verse 9 being the main point, I could just read the parable and sit down and, and it would do everything Jesus wanted it to. That's how genius Jesus is and was. So let's, let's read it, okay? I'll read it out loud to you. You follow along, though. If you do follow along, it will help you in getting the spiritual points because you'll just, you know, your eyes will be looking at the page as well as your ears hearing it. Jesus told his disciples, there was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and he asked him, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management because you cannot be manager any longer. You're fired. But before you leave, I want to know what you've been doing. The manager said to himself, what, what shall I do? I mean, I've got this appointment where I've got to go in, right? My master's taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do so that when I lose my job, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called one of his master's debtors. He asked him first, what, how much do you owe my master? 900 gallons of olive oil. He replied, manager told him, take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it half, 450. Whoa, guy's thinking, this is awesome. Then he asked the second, how much do you owe? There's a thousand bushels of wheat. He told him, take your bill and make it 800. Awesome. Master found out. He commended this is where it gets tricky. This is where you go, what? He commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. Now, the parable's over. Now Jesus is talking to your heart. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than are the people of the light. I tell you, Here's the point of the parable. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, before we go any further, I want to I remind you of something here. In all of these teachings of the gospel in the New Testament, and especially of the parables that teach the gospel, they either, the stories and the teachings either lead you to Christ or they lead you from Christ to a more godly way of living. So the parable of the, the publican and the tax collector are in the temple praying and one went home justified before God and one didn't. That's a parable that leads you to Christ. The end of your self-righteousness to Christ. This parable is not about leading you to Christ. It's about leading you from knowing Christ to a more godly, wise way of living. So why do I say that? I don't want you to come to church ever and not hear Jesus Christ is your Savior and he's taken all your sins away. Jesus Christ is your, there I said it, right? He's your Savior. And he's taken all your sins away. You are a child of God by faith in him. And you are forgiven. And he loves you. And eternal life is your home. 
So this parable is leading you from Christ to a more godly way of living. But you know what that means? It means, number one, the home you live in now, dwellings, is in the parable. The home you live in now is not your permanent home. Neither is your retirement home your permanent home. This parable releases and empowers, inspires, and cajoles us on to a much more wise and godly way of looking at life. The players in the parable all lead to the main point, verse 9. None of them are supposed to be associated with you or God or anything else. They're all just fictitious people. There is a rich guy. He leaves his management to this employee. The employee has been unscrupulous. He's been uh, sinful. He got caught. He's on his way out. Life as he has known it is coming fast to an end. That's important for you to understand what the parable means for you and me. Life, as this man knows it, is coming to his end. His dwelling place, which probably in the story you're supposed to assume is part, you know, on the, man, on the estate of the owner, it's, he's losing it, right? Life is coming to an end. So he just keeps doing what he's always done. He's, he's uh, without, you know, without regard of right and wrong, he's just making friends for himself to take care of the fact that he's trying to take care of the next stage in life, right? And Jesus commends that. Let's put it a different way. Jesus says that people in this world who live just for this world still are smart enough to try to make sure that what's coming after now is going to be okay for them or better for them. They're better at that than people of the light, the people who are saved. They know how to make friends by giving away coupons. They know how to make friends by uh, cutting a deal for people. They know how to make sure that their next place is going to be there for them by making friends with people, by using wealth to do it. Who hasn't had a friend or been a friend that gave gifts in order to make friends? Right. And we're people of the light. We think that way, right? Even making friends inside our home. Oh, I'll do this for them and then they'll be more positive with me and I'll be happier living around here. Jesus said, people of the darkness who don't even know me as their savior, they know how to do that, but people of the light aren't thinking the same way about eternity. You're still going, it's still though weird that he would do this, that he'd tell a parable this way. Here's the point. Here's the point about the way Jesus teaches, okay? Peter, you can flip through a couple slides here. Um, the, the, go, go further. Go back, Peter. I'm sorry. It's my bad. One more. Okay, right there. Um, the genius of Jesus is that he'll exploit even a bad situation to make a positive point. In fact, the parable of the shrewd manager is so hard that he would commit, that Jesus would tell a story about a, an owner that commended a guy he was firing. You can't forget it. 
it becomes sticky because it's such a challenge to your reasoning. And I want to show you why it becomes a challenge to your reasoning. Again, you are in church. You are listening to a story that the perfect Savior told, that always Jesus always taught us how to live a life filled with faith and love toward God and each other and a life that is righteous in God's sight. How could Jesus ever commend somebody who's lying and cheating his master? Because Jesus is not teaching morality in the parable. He's teaching you about faith-based living. And he's, he's exploiting the sins of the shrewd manager to talk about he believed he needed a place to dwell beyond where he was, and so he took care of it. So now let's look at his point. Look at verse 9. Let's read it together, okay? I think it's important. You read with me out loud. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Is Jesus talking about money? Yes. Now, there are, there are things in our life that, it can, that, that, that we would say make us wealthy that are not just money. And we'll get to those. But Jesus is talking about money. Uh, this week I went out to Midland. I drove because the airlines are so understaffed. I've been in, in troubled situations flying lately. So I drove six and a half hours. So I got some podcasts, and I thought, I'm going to re... I'm meditating on this, this parable, right? But I'm going to review for my own self my own retirement plan. So I got these podcasts about, you know, making sure that you've got enough for retirement. So I'm driving down the road, listening to all this, and I'm thinking, oh, you know, I made a financial mistake way back here. I could do better right here. And with a little bit of time I've got left in the working world, I better be wise and do this. Savers are losers is a quote I took from it. You've got to do more than just save in like a savings account. You know, you get all these quotes, right? You're thinking this way. You're an American. You're trying to figure out yours, right? But it's all about retirement, if the podcast is about that, right? Here's the point, though, that as a pastor meditating on the shrewd manager parable and what Jesus said was eternal dwellings, if all we plan for is retirement because our culture is screaming at us, be wise and make sure you do that, we're planning too short. You know, Satan is the god of half-truths. Nobody's living that long in retirement. And frankly, it's, you're going to be physically, some of you are retired, I know you're sitting here retired, but you're going to be physically challenged by your own health problems, but it's too short. If the meaning of life is to set yourself up for an earthly retirement, you are in for a terrible awakening of emptiness. You plan for eternity. And how did Jesus say to do it? Using worldly wealth to make friends for yourself. Living for the kingdom. 
being part of the movement of salvation and restoration of human souls is this, it's not, a, it's not on the peripheral of a Christian's life, it's at the core of their being. If, if, if we are saved for eternity by Jesus Christ, and we are, then that's everything to us. And it's everything to us for other people too. So to, if you want a life of meaning, it doesn't, it doesn't have the most meaning if you did a great job and the economy cooperated and you ended up living on easy street for the last five, 10 years of your life. That's not the definition of lasting. Lasting forever is lasting forever and, and having a life of meaning and purpose is making friends for Jesus and for yourself that will be with you forever in heaven. Now here's Jesus, 32 and a half years old. He's going to die in a few weeks, but he's dying for you, his friend. In John 15, the night before he died, he said, I'm calling you friends because I'm laying down my life for you. He's making us his friend. At the Garden of Eden, when, he, when the devil made us his friend, we became enemies of God. Jesus is now making us an enemy of the devil by making us love God who loved us first through his son, Jesus Christ. His whole life is making us his friends for eternity. Hebrews 12 says, for the joy set before him of making us his own, he endured the cross. He's going to go through hell. It's going to be terrible, but he's doing it to make us his friends. And he loves it when he sees you as his friend, when you see yourself as his friend, when you love being his friend, because you love that he saved you. And he says, if you want to live in your salvation every day, then lose yourself in your time, your op now this is beyond money, your opportunities, your possessions, your home, your cars, your swimming pools, your golf course memberships, your, your uh, exercise, whatever it is, use it to make friends for eternity. Because you know why? You're on your way out. This ain't gonna last long. You're getting fired. So you wanna have meaning and purpose while you're living your life? Make friends for eternity. I can see a couple of you, you're just like, oh, just let me go, I gotta go do this, right? You see how sticky this parable is? Jesus says, I know people who don't believe there's a heaven that they're, they're a lot smarter in making friends for themselves with what they got in this life all the time. And you guys, in the people of the light, you're not thinking always about the long game. Think about the long game. I'm, I'm a member of your culture. You're a member of my culture. We have these big screens, right, in our house. If not, you're thinking, I gotta get a bigger one. He just said big. <laughs> we sit by the screens and we watch people live life in front of us, right? And we entertain ourselves with that. We were flipping through, winding down last night after news. Mary says, there's Yellowstone. I said, yeah, it's too dark. No, don't, just try it. No, no, let's don't watch that. Yeah. We, we want to we watch people. We're, we're addicted to entertainment. We all are. Our culture is. 
Why did I bring that up? Because as a man of God and as your friend and your pastor, I don't want you spending a tremendous amount of hours that you don't have many of until you die sitting in front of that TV. I'm serious. There's a lot of people to love and serve. I'm not telling you little rules about what you can and cannot do. I'm just saying, listen to what Jesus is saying. Use your time and your energy and your opportunities and your wealth and your homes and everything that is you and your money. Use it to make friends for eternity by trying to find a way to channel it toward the kingdom. None of us can look at every single thing that we have and say, I can see exactly the, the, how that connects to Jesus and his ministry. <laughs> Nor do I think he wants us to be in that pharisaical mindset. But he does want us to be in a mindset, doesn't he? Of using our lives in a temporary short life on earth to make friends for eternity. He backs us up. He send, gives us the big picture. And he says, live for the long game. And it's not retirement. You might even choose to do something that makes you less rich in dollar signs in retirement because you're making more friends that way for eternity. And the way you serve pastors and people going into called ministry make that decision all the time. Less dollars, more friends for Jesus. <laughs> That's pretty cool. <laughs> and they last. And because heaven, we're not, we haven't been there, and it's not really real to us as experientially yet, we have a hard time imagining it. But think of how you came back today, and many of you, like, we've got the Hughes coming from Paris, and what, we got, all, you know, coming back. It's good to see friends, right? It's good to kind of be home somewhere. Think of heaven that way. Everywhere you turn is home. And you're, make casa su casa. We're all together and we got all these friends, right? And everybody's welcoming everybody, always for eternity. They always know your name and glad you came. <coughs> don't you want to help people have that? And don't you want that? Yeah. Then use your life to make friends. By teaching Sunday school. By teaching your kids, making them your friends for eternity. By, every, you know, I'm not going to list them all. You, you're, the Holy Spirit's working on you already. So here's the, what would we do with this parable? First thought, we could wink at it and just go on and living our life the same way that we have. Maybe, maybe that's because you've been making friends for Jesus a lot and it's confirmation that you're on the right track. That's fine. We could repent of our thinking. I'm not talking about wallowing in guilt. I'm just talking about that change. Oh, part of the reason I haven't had great joy is because I've been living for this life and feeling bad about it. No, I, I could just start making friends for eternity. This is awesome and it'll last forever. Repent of that thinking and then adjust your actions. Take a look at your portfolio and ask when I'm gone, how much will be directly used for gospel ministry? How much of my, my wealth right now is directly used for gospel ministry? How much do I really need to save for me and mine? As if it all depends on me. 
And between, this happens to me almost every Sunday, but it happened today, between first service and this one, a, a new twist to the parable has become prominent in my mind and I want to share it. That first service didn't get this. The thing about Jesus is that everything that he's teaching is dripping with some kind of supporting insight. The, the manager sits down to make friends that will welcome into, into dwellings by doing what? Telling them about a stimulus package that's the deal of a lifetime. You got debt? We'll wipe it in half. We'll take 20% off the second, guys. Now you're going to be my friend, right? What's the church's message? This is what I didn't say in first service. You got debt with God? Has the church got a deal for you? He wiped it out. It's all paid for. The church isn't, message isn't clean up your act and come learn about God. You can be good like us. It's bring your sins here. We got the deal of a lifetime. All forgiven through Jesus. Wiped away. Does the community know that we want them to be friends in eternity under grace or under law? Under grace. We want them to think, we want them to know that, don't we? And when the church throws herself into trying to explain to the community that we preach a God who took our, the sins of the whole world away, everyone gets guilt wiped away, shame wiped away, and eternal life and gets to live forever debt free because of Jesus, then the world, one by one, people will become our friends. They'll go, oh, y'all aren't saying you're better than us. You're saying you have a Savior for us. Then the message becomes a heartwarming, welcoming of friends. And one by one, as people join the gospel, they become friends of ours for eternity. That's everything that Jesus is talking about in this parable. Use worldly wealth and possessions not just to make a retirement on earth for yourself, but use it for eternal friendships. And yes, he's talking about first money and then everything else, opportunity, talents, and time later. But this is the place where Jesus is noticing how people think that money and possessions on earth are going to give them lasting peace. And he says, no, you use them for the long game. It's too short to just use them for this life. Uh, go ahead to that next slide, Peter. I, I debated, you know, most of you know that I'm close friends with Ron who went to heaven recently. He was our member. He always sat about, about where Timmy is. Maybe right in front of that, right? Ron was quieter for, than most people. Sort of worked as a, a member of a fellowship kind of behind the scenes. Cared deeply about the kingdom making his work, his life, work career was at 3M. He was married for over 40 years and he, his wife died eight years ago and, and uh, he missed her terribly, but he loved Jesus and he loved the gospel and he loved his church. And Ron made himself your friend and some of you, he made his friend. 
Let me tell you what I mean. And, and some of you, are, most of you are doing the very same things, but I'm trying to help you see this. When we, when we were next door as our church building, and that was our, we, this building did not exist, our leaders were working hard to get enough funds so that we could safely move forward with a loan that wasn't too big, right? So we had a, we had a, 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 a minimum that we had to gather the bankers told us what it ought to be, and so we worked for that as all special offerings. So I announced one Sunday at the end of church in that building over there, because the leaders had told me to do this. Robert, you remember this probably. They said, we, we lack $60,000 to reach our goal, then we can start the, digging the dirt. So after church, in the announcement, I said, we need it. We're, we're, we're bursting at the seams. We don't really have a fellowship hall. We need to build a church building. We need $60,000 to get to our $200,000 goal. After church, Ron and Barb come up to me, pull me aside and said, we have this $1,500 investment that's been sitting there for 25 years and it's worth $60,000. You can have it. Build your church. He's your friend. You're sitting in a pew that he helped you with. I mean, church costs a lot more than 60 grand, but, it, you know, that's, he's your friend, right? Um, Hannah's world. Hannah jumped into Hannah's world working for nothing at first, then working for pennies on, on the hour, right? And she still is working like that and hard. But uh, to keep things moving forward, to have employees, to minister to little kids, like we do with 80-something kids every day learning about Jesus and learning the Word of God and growing, becoming our friends for eternity. It takes a lot to get, keep that thing going. I told that to Ron. He said, I, I'll help. He helped in a significant way, promising for three years. And the, the third year was right before he died. Went to heaven. Friends, he's a friend of Hannah's world, right? The screens and the projectors he helped pay for. The screen that I'm looking at in the back with his picture on it, he paid for that TV. He'd be freaked out, but it's too bad he's in heaven now. <laughs> if he knew I was telling you this, but the, why would I tell you this at all? I, 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 I long and hard prayed about this. Because it's what Jesus is talking about, right? This is what Jesus is talking about. It's living your life to make friends for eternity. And Ron loved to work in the stock market, you know, at home, you know, doing the investing. He loved all the stuff that you love. But he also loved making friends forever. And the reason I'm focusing on money is because Jesus is actually talking about that. But I'm also going to, real quickly, as I close, I'm going to talk about other things. Denise has sizzling for seniors. Have you seen a more fit 40-something-year-old? Did, 50. Did you know that? I mean, she looks like she's 27. People look at me and say, when are you going to retire? <laughs> they look at her and say, you know, did you just get out of college? And most people in her world, they're pushing for the limelight out there, right, with the big shots. He's done that. Making friends for Jesus. When you saw Pat Wheeler up here joining the church last Sunday, came through Peggy and through Sizzling Seniors. 
making friends for Jesus with exercise. Why do I say anything like I got permission from, because she's living right here. <laughs> Why do I say, all of you, I could, I could, you don't have time for me, but I'm, I'm looking at 30 or 40 stories like that, right? You're all included. But I want to fan that into flame and say, that's what the parable's about. You don't try to say, well, I can't be a shrewd manager. The guy lied. That's not what Jesus is talking about, <laughs> right? You're not supposed to be the manager. You're supposed to be, verse 9, make friends for yourself for eternity by the way you use life. And why? Because you're on your way out. <laughs> you're not going to be here very long. Stop living for this life. While you live this life, live it for eternity and help other people too. And there's only, the only way to make friends for eternity is to connect them to Jesus who died for them, rose again, and saved their soul. So you want to marry your faith in Christ to your daily feeling of purpose and meaning. Think about what he's saying. And if you go home and you go, what did that guy talk about today? Just read the parable. It's powerful enough with verse 9 to do everything it needs to do. Amen.